Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. So, I mean, it starts out, and there's war in space, and there's war on the beach. Tarkin calls for the Death Star, uh, and says Vader will handle the fleet. Uh, Empire's kicking their ass. Uh, Jin and Cassian just got into the vault, and they're searching for the right files. Um, K2's blowing away the stormtroopers as they come in. Um, and then Eventually. They're they, all on the beach. He kind um, of, I guess, I guess K2 kind of dies by electrical current, right? Or, did, or does he get she, blasted? He gets to blasted out. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, he smashes his fists down. Um, yeah, that is like the first of many blazes of glory that, that ensue in this 20. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the other deaths. They're able to do the master switch so that it um the comms are able to go through right they communicate they communicate stardust stardust then reaches no then they communicate to radis that you can take down the shield generator right and then the shield generator he gets a hammerhead knocks it into a star destroyer which knocks it into another star destroyer which knocks it into the shield generator which blows it open cassian and Jin get to the top or Jin gets to the top she's ready but pull the switch krennic arrives cassian shoots krennic Jin pulls the switch they go down to the beach uh, in the process, that allows the message to go to Leia's ship, the Hammerhead, uh, and in the process, Vader's boarding. They're able to break free, but Vader kills a bunch of rebels in the process. And right after the message is sent up through, Tarkin had shot down the laser. Krennic's the first thing the laser kills, and then it blows up everybody else. That's true. You actually don't get to see Krennic's death. You just get to see his reaction. You just he know sees the death star. Well, you know where he is, and then you see that place get bla- like bl- completely blown away. Yeah, exactly. Which kind of does a bit of a disservice to the uh just to the emotion of krennic because he's been so integral to the emotion of this story are we into like the yeah why not because you just did it (laughs) okay sure so (laughs) that works yeah it was a bit of a a manic uh, intro to the 20s so uh, yeah there was the refresher (laughs) right a very monotone and non-interesting way to start the show well rather than going back and forth you said it better than i could have said it so that's and the only thing of course that we left out is uh uh then in an effort for the Empire to intercept the, the the handing off of the Death Star plans, Vader latches on, kills a whole bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. He does not get the plans, uh, but he doesn't still fear. And of course, Leia gets the plans. And then we're left with the very beginning of Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah, and they had just detached. And as a result, the Star Destroyer is in hot pursuit. And we know from 40 plus years ago, that it catches up in a couple seconds. <laughs> in like truly a couple of seconds. And I think that's as good of a place as any to start. Can, you were the person who brought this to my attention. And as if I wasn't already alive with electricity at the moment in the theaters. Can you describe when you first connected the dots that they were going to line this movie up to the beginning of A New Hope? I think it's as soon as you start to see those rebel helmets and the yes. rebel uniforms. Yeah. Uh, and, or even as soon as he called in the hammerhead. When Radis called in the hammerhead, I was... Like that's, and then you see it's the Antilles, like Captain Ramus Antilles hammerhead, you know, obviously right from there. I understand. Yes. If you recognize the ship, uh, you might not have connected that, mm. that it's called the hammerhead. And once you know that it's called the hammerhead, well, you that's can a nickname for it because it's not even its main name. Like it's the Tantive Four. And so there's that element. What's to the it. full nickname though? Cause that's my night question. What does Radis call in? Um, hammerhead is half of it. A uh, blockade runner. It's the Hammerhead Corvette. Corvette, yes, but it is also Blockade Runners. It's other uh, nickname, I believe. It's quite an unsightly ship. Yeah, it's it's 
terrible. Yeah, it is the Corvette though. When Shit. you saw Rogue One, you were not as learned in Star Wars lore. Like you weren't watching no. Rebels or anything at this time. No, I hadn't watched started watching Rebels at that point. I binged Rebels hardcore. I think it was in the midst of the fourth season, so I was able to see like maybe the finale. Right. Like with everybody else, or maybe it was like a, I just like was finishing up season three when the fourth season finished or something. But you knew what that ship was at this time. Well, that ship's, that's the opening ship. That's, I understand, but it's still a lot to connect. Yeah, that's true. It, it is one. Yeah, I recognized it from being that opening battle scene. And that, that wasn't necessarily the one that made me like 100% sure, but it was the one where you're starting to like, okay, wait a minute. And then you see those guys, okay, okay, shit. Well, then then you, it was just kind of the, the indicator of, well, we've seen Yavin. I already know we're really close in that regard. This space battle looks familiar. We already know all these things. It just was like, holy shit, we haven't seen this since 1977, the ship. Spe- specifically also the the blue uniforms and the white helmets. And yep. they're running around frantically. They're, try- they're well, trying to- That hallway scene when right. they're like marching, it's like- They're trying to brace themselves for Vader to come through the door. Like the mirrors are so obvious. But I think the fact that they successfully kept it from the public that that's how the movie was going to end. Mm. And I just, love that. just the aesthetic- uh, Re, like tone capture of this film we've talked a lot about the nods to what makes star wars star wars in terms of just elemental stuff we, did not, we saw another thing in this uh in this 20 which is just the big tin vacancy like just the big opening f- like gap in the floor where where um, i'm not saying this very well but like cassian and 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 Jin are are trying to crack the code and of course there's no floor it's oh, yeah. just an endless pit like that's in every star wars movie i thought that was fitting though based on the design of the vault Makes sure it is sense. but it just always adds yep. an, an extra element of suspense to any star wars oh absolutely sequence where time is of the essence and where you're trying not to be found mm-hmm. uh and so that existed in this and we've seen them all through this movie and i think this reviewing uh this segmented reviewing of this movie has given me a, a deeper appreciation for rogue one than our podcast has any other star wars movie for me i would agree with that i think it's i think it's phenomenally beautifully done mm-hmm. especially knowing that they were going to lead up to where they did the whole movie had to capture star wars's tone like no other star wars film has in 40 years yep i think he pulled it off marvelously and i would like to see more star wars from gareth edwards i completely agree across the board i mean i'm not like, i love gareth edwards what he brought to it and the fact that he was very flexible i think disney would certainly appreciated that there was a lot of shit behind the scenes on this movie but in the same vein it worked and the thing that impresses me the most about this movie is the fact that there is no attachment to the characters in the same way it's very very different from all other star wars movies in that regard and that's why it's one that i for the same reasons you have gained a level of appreciation and watching it kind of in this segmented view because it allows you to feel a little bit more connected with the characters, but at the same time, it allows you to evaluate it where you don't even really need to view the characters in that same way. You're able to view the the overall story arc and its impact on Star Wars, which is the more important side of things, and the reason why I hate Solo. Or not hate Solo, but feel disappointed by Solo. Because it's missing all of the things that Rogue One had. When you look at the two movies, when you think of what the Star Wars universe is, you have the characters and you have the universe. Uh, And when you think of what Solo had, it had... The universe, yeah, and it had the characters we knew, but 
there was no impact those characters had on the greater universe. Right. Whereas this, we didn't even know the characters, but the impact they have on the greater universe we knew. And that just goes to show which matters more. And mm -hmm. that was kind of an, it's kind of an interesting little way of looking at it. And these, these two solo movies have focused on one particular element. And to me, clearly show which one is the more important one. Well, absolutely. And it's not that these characters are underdeveloped. Like, we know a lot about Jin. We even know a thing or two about Cassian. Yeah. We're going to know a lot more about Cassian. A couple of the characters who are slightly underdeveloped maybe could have been downsized, which we've talked about before. There could have been a little bit of consolidating of Bodhi. character work. Bodhi, absolutely. Um, I think even Chirrut's buddy. Baze. Yeah. Yeah, but Bodhi more than, like... Yes, for sure. This 20, like, his stupid last line, like... This one's for you, Galen, or something. Oh, this is for you, Galen. That's right. so stupid. Yeah, that's pretty weak. Yeah. But if that's a byproduct of what was a a pretty tormented production, yeah. like a pretty rough go, this movie is living proof that just because your production is a kind of a, a hellscape doesn't mean your movie is bad. No, absolutely. And there have been a lot of movies where people are like, well, this movie is going to be terrible because things are going wrong left, right, and center. Not necessarily Rogue One. Exactly. Well, most movies have reshoots planned nowadays. Like, for example, people who are like weirded up by the Rise of Skywalker reshoots. Right. Once again, that's just stupid. It is. They plan on those sort of things. But this is one where they brought it to a whole nother level, brought so many cooks into the kitchen. Rewrote it. Yeah, absolutely. So many different ways. The ending was done a few different ways, dramatically different. Uh, was there an ending where everybody doesn't die? There's an ending where Jin and Cassian don't die. Okay. I don't know if everybody else still dies, but there's an ending where those two definitely survive. Because it's very hard to imagine where Jin and Cassian go after Rogue One if they don't die. Exactly. Because she's just getting started. Exactly. She's a huge hero. She's a huge rebellion influence. Mm -hmm. She'd be there at the meeting. Yeah, absolutely. She would have, without a doubt, earned her stripes. Right. Uh, with this whole... It's only, it's only it's too late, of course, but it's only such a shame that the name Jin didn't come from some completely obscure reference to the great hero Jin that Lawrence Kasdan flippantly wrote into Empire Strikes Back or something. Like if they could have taken her name from some just oh, like throwaway reference in another movie just to enrich the fact that she she does have a legacy. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is there is no such thing as a throwaway line in Star Wars. Not with Lawrence Kasdan. Not with Star Wars, because at this point, Star Wars has existed so long enough that there is not a single line from the original trilogy that hasn't been given that has a not background. been given a background. That's probably true. And so it would have to be something that completely erased a plot line. Now, initially, some people, uh, of course, it was it was actually the very first thing I thought of when I heard about the plot of Rogue One. Yeah, was I confused the the plans from the Mon Mothma speeches and was like. The Bothans. We get to finally see with see the Bothans. <laughs> yeah. But no, that the Bothans get the Death Star two plans. Um, but oh right, the the many Bothans who died. Uh, Bothans that like that species has been created and has been explored through legends uh, and is really cool. And to be honest, I'm not 100 percent sure if it's the same species, but they're very lion esque looking. I picture them that way. And I think that might have been like um, what's his name, uh, Michael. Um, Michael K. Williams. Oh yeah, I think in Solo he might have been a Bothan. He might oh, have, that would be great. Have been a Bothan because uh, Dryden Voss has lion esque style guards. Uh, right. They might be Bothans, but there's also another species that starts with a Z uh, in the Star Wars universe that has feline like um, humanoid species. So it could be one of the. There's a few that are like in that in that vein, but uh, yes, yeah, so that was one of the kind of the first things that I connected. But 
Well, it's so funny because we talked when we when we did a season on Solo about how they were just so desperate to throw in every little bit of fan service mm. to to take all of the most obvious Han Solo lore and pile it into one movie like that would be what we needed to make us happy. And it's almost like if they had approached Rogue One with the same philosophy, they would have found a way to put Bothans in Rogue One and it would have been useless. Well, yeah, it just doesn't work at all. Yeah. But then again, you could have made it would have made sense in the sense that they were uh, they had a relationship with the rebellion and but uh, yeah, potentially like a sleeper yeah. cell or like an intense like that's true black ops group, which is I think what it was kind of supposed to be seemed like which in theory what people thought uh, this movie was kind of going to be about as opposed to be necessarily ragtag. Um, it was could have been very much like a spy thriller, which I think is what we're getting with the Cassian show. I don't so. think it's ragtag. I think Solo is ragtag. I think this is a war movie. I think that this yeah. is the first war movie in Star Wars. It is, but it's ragtag because of the team. They start. It starts out where Jin is in prison, and she's rescued by the robot, who is the like sidekick to this rebel of the rebels. Right. Who then they run into these two force worshippers. One has become skeptical. One is in denial of the reasons as to why he still believes. You're right. And then they pick up the pilot who abandoned the Empire. They're a mixed bag of of, of people for sure. And they didn't all start out as one unit. But I I guess I just consider ragtag to be kind of... Fair enough. It's just campy. And this movie is not campy. It's the first Star Wars movie that pulls off not being campy. It takes itself seriously and works. I agree. However, there are some lines I'm just it's still even to this don't work. I mean, the Bodhi one, but uh, I'm not a fan of the conversation between Jen and Krennic. You've lost. Oh, I have. Have I? My father's revenge. He built a flaw in the Death Star. He put a fuse in the middle of your machine, and I've just told the entire galaxy how to light it. The shield is up. Your signal will never reach the rebel base. All your ships in here will be destroyed. I lose nothing but time. You, on the other hand, die with the rebellion. Okay, yeah, it's very expository. It is. Krennic's great, but the lines delivered. If they were delivered by anyone other than Ben Mendelsohn, it could have come across lame. Your Highness, the transmission we received. What is it they've sent us? Help. I wondered a little bit how you feel about Leia's one line in this movie. All the only words she says in the whole movie is hope. I and think it's perfect. I think it's perfect too. I think that Star Wars, the, if you were to boil Star Wars down to one word, the word is hope. And especially that moment. Yeah, of course. Of course. I don't know. It's I, I'm happy that it happened and my mind was blown when it happened. And I I think that... Um, that uh what's his name tarkin is really well done because tarkin is so mm. extreme looking already he's such yep. a severe face whereas young carrie fisher is like a beautiful yeah 19 year old human yeah human and, who, and, who just has like a very clean face and not one that you can really kind of mangle up with weird angles yeah whereas he already kind of looks like a caricature of, of something or, yeah. or what else and we don't know him as well like we've seen her we spent way more time looking at her face and so because she says hope or maybe it's the way she says hope which is she's cool as a cucumber in this moment and i don't know if that's like leia you know and i think the fact that she's so like monotone and cool I think it kind of um, highlights the uh, the computer generated nature of her. Yes, I I love the the choice of the word, and I like what everything they did. I don't think it looks good. 
It doesn't look great. No, I. That's very, what I. That's what I'm trying to be gentle. Yeah, about. no, I. I, th- I think it looks bad. Yeah, and I don't think it's aged well either. No, uh, but it's one thing that I do have a hope for and a belief that it will eventually be fixed. Yeah, I, I mean, it'll certainly get better if they do it more. But what I mean is, like, on a re-release. Yes, I know, I know. And I mean. really hope Disney does what George Lucas did in that side of things. Right. And I know a lot of people don't like George Lucas going back and editing the movie. However, there are a couple things where I am okay with Star Wars and I want Star Wars to continue that tradition on because it's already part of the universe and there's going to be some things over time that technology, if you want to push the boundaries like Star Wars is supposed to, you'll slip up on and you'll want to go back and do a redo on. First of all, you're not changing the story. No. If you do that, which George Lucas did, I'm against. Yeah, that's that's like, a, that's he throws wrong. in stupid lines like Vader screaming no. Right, that's that's objectively wrong. There are certain there are I mean, if you want to update the effects to make the visual experience more modern, that's also a slippery slope. Like, I wouldn't want you to go back and change all the practical effects puppets to God, CGI no. monsters. But like, as long as you know where the line is, and especially if you're talking about a CGI generated face, like a yeah. computer made live action actor exactly um is already kind of controversial mm-hmm. like nobody's like that precious about it if you're just going to make it better soon after you tried it the first time that's great yeah and when you look at like the uh, uh, the prequels nobody literally nobody and if you are one of these people you're weird and i don't understand it <laughs> nobody liked the original phantom menace yoda no it was bad he looked awful terrible ridiculous terrifying and so they went back and they made him CG like in Attack of the Clones and Re- Revenge of the Sith. That's pretty much been scrubbed, but go on YouTube if you want to see the original Yoda. You might, in fact, forget how insane it looks. It looks ridiculous. But that's one that, in retrospect, you have to make. You have to fix. Yeah. It's a character that has... Like, you're, you're under, there's, yeah. there's precedent you're undermining for the Yoda. like this. That's right. And this is an instance where Leia, there's a ton of precedent. And if you can go back and fix that... And it's literally two seconds of screen time. Yeah, it's pretty brief. So it would be extremely easy once the technology gets improved. I don't see any downside in that. And so that's why, because Star Wars is something that is built to age now, I'm okay with it. Who wrote, Who's the head writer of this movie? Is it Gareth Edwards? Tony Gilroy and Gareth Edwards. I know Tony Gilroy was the one who came in and did the majority of the highly accredited large changes. Okay. However, there's Tony, so there's Gareth Edwards and there are at least two other main writers who did it with Gareth Edwards. Um crap, I'm trying to remember. At some point someone on the committee came up with the genius idea of putting Leia in this film. Yeah, and I'm it not might, sure it, it was. It might have been uh, just like kind of indelible within the premise of let's leading it right up to the beginning because mm. obviously she starts off the original uh, trilogy. And so maybe it came in that same conversation and we're going to CGI Leia, Leia in there somehow. Mm. Um, but that must have been met with how? How are we going to do that? Are we just going to show her from behind? Are we going to get a new actress? Like surely they had to have a discussion about what their options were and somebody, maybe it was Kathy, maybe it was... Maybe it was George, maybe it was one of them was incredibly doubtful that it could work. Somebody had to be very yeah. nervous about that. And of course, and they must have been 10 times more nervous as soon as it got released. Yeah. She passed away a couple days later. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, that adds another level to it. That was eerie. It was like a week later. Yeah. Or less. Yeah, or less. Yeah. Because it happened on Boxing Day or Christmas Day? One of the two. Yeah, she died on Boxing Day, I think. Yeah. 
Anyway, I'm glad they did it. We agree. It could, yep. be, it could be fixed in the future. It's not like, it's not disruptive. No, because it's so damn short. And yeah. it just makes you so happy because of circumstance in the sense that it is a great reveal. Um, yeah, I'm totally game for it. Want to do some trivia? Uh, okay, sure. I already I already gave you my, my night question, which was about the, the Hammerhead Corvette. You give me one. Um, Padawan question. In what order do our heroes die in the movie? Oh, shoot. Name the six. K2 dies first. No, no. Do, do you want me to tell you yes as you go? I guess that's fair. Yes, K two okay. dies first. K two dies first. Um, then, uh, Bodhi dies. No, no. Then Chirrut dies. Then Chirrut dies. Then Baze dies. No. Then Bodhi dies. Yes. Then Baze dies. Yes. Then Cassian and Jin die together. Yeah. All right. Okay. So it's really interesting because you have K two die, and then a couple minutes later Chirrut dies, but Baze goes out to get Chirrut. Yeah. And they cut to Bodhi for four seconds That's weird. to kill him. Right. And then they cut back to Baze, seeing Bodhi explode. And then he just goes on like a, the force, I'm one with the force, the force with me. And then he shoots a couple guys and then gets killed in the process. You know what? Well. I, I don't care about that guy, but I like when he starts saying the force stuff. Yeah. It's really sweet when he, because it shows that he loves Chirrut. Yeah. And, and for some reason, he, other than Cassian and Jin. He gets the most badass death in the movie. He does get a good death. It's like a really, like, I mean, I th- actually think K2's death is really badass. And so too. is Shirts, though, as well. Bodhi's is shit, and Bodhi's stupid. But so. it's almost something comical and, and Western-esque about, about Baze's death. Where yeah, he, like, turns, turns around smiling, and then fire consumes him. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, because I, I completely forgot how emotional this, this last 20 is. Mm. And like you said before, like, we're not emotionally invested in these characters. Maybe not, but we're emotional in general about what's happening. Yes, that's definitely true. They accomplish that. And it, remi- it makes us, we don't feel that same way about the characters, but we feel the same connection to the circumstance because we've known that circumstance for so long. I think I've seen this movie three times now, but probably not in a long time. Okay. And for whatever reason, I forgot that Cassian dies while embracing Jin in, oh, the, really? in the white hot flash. I just, I was kind of like. I always remember his expression. Yeah, because his eyes like get crazy wide as they die. Right, and if and if you had told me that's what happened, I would say, oh, of course, I'm an idiot. Yeah. But when he gets shot inside by by uh, Krennic, I'm like, oh, you really? thought that's how he died? For a second, I was like, why does Cassian get the b- most boring death in this movie? Nah, he gets a he gets a pretty good one. It was just less of a blaze of glory, and then of course he comes back and he it's and he rescues the Jane. biggest blaze of glory. Yeah, uh, the al- ultimate. Yeah, although it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why is that? Because they were able to get from the top floor all oh, the I way know. down to the beach. Yeah. Why didn't you go for a fucking starship? You're right. You could have found a TIE fighter. Not you just could have found Krennic's TIE fighter. They, they make a long distance. They get all the way down and yes. they never run into an enemy or anything. Remember how quickly they got off Jetta? Right. Well, and he's been shot too. So presumably he can't like sprint. Yeah, Jen, leave him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're not in love or anything. Is there supposed to be a romantic tension between Jin and, and Cassian? I think there's supposed to be a little bit at the end. I think in different versions of the script, there were. Right. And potentially... Kind I like of, that they didn't explore that like too, too deeply. You could presume, or maybe just were conditioned to presume because it's uh, a man and a woman in in a movie. I don't know. They share a moment in the end. I I don't know if that's romantic though. I think that's just we have the same cause and we nailed it. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, it may not be romantic, but it's definitely uh, intimate and affectionate. Uh, little niche characters. 
We talked about him last week. I'm a big Blue Leader stan. Yeah? I love Blue Leader. Blue Leader? He yeah. goes out and plays Glory. I love his little spiral crash. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's really good. And I really like how you described that he just looks like the kind of guy who would be cast in the late 70s. Oh, yeah, that's, that's perfect. 100% true. It's mayhem, man. Yeah. People are dying left, right, and center in this. And that was a bold choice. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I have that down in the miscellaneous category as the balls to kill everyone. <laughs> that's absolutely. Okay, I'll give you my Padawan, uh, my Padawan question. What code word does Jin read before she scrolls to Stardust? Oh, you bastard giving me the order. I just couldn't. I couldn't make out the other one she said. She says two before she says Stardust. There's just a more no, compelling there's, one. No, she says, I think, six. Okay, well, just give me one then. The, uh, the, the one she says right before Stardust. That's what I want. Okay, I'm going to go through them, and it's going to be giving away my master questions, so I'm going to switch master questions. Okay. Stellar Sphere is one of them. Okay. War Mantle is one of them. Mark Omega is one of them. Black Saber is the last one, I think, that she yes, says. Yes, it is. Yeah. And uh, there's one other I think I'm not mentioning. It's... Uh, I want listeners to know that Ross is not scrolling through the internet or checking his notes at all. No, as he I'm reads thinking. These. He's taken a while, but it's remarkable that you're doing this. Uh, the other one is... Um, fuck, because I know what the other one... The, the meaning of it. Uh, Do you it, know what the meaning of any of these? I, I did a little bit of digging to to guess what the meaning was on some of them to align some of the research. Right, because I just want to know what black saber is. I uh, like that's like that is inherently Sithly sounding, and the there. I think there's just one more I'm missing, and it's bugging me because it's specifically very clearly a, about the laser development. I'm assuming the development of the dish design. Okay. Um. I'm, I can't get it. I'm going to just have to look at it. Uh, so there are Stellar Sphere. Now Marco, he's reading. Mark Omega, Pax Aurora. I just totally forgot about that one. Yeah. War Mantle. Cluster Prism was the one I was forgetting. Cluster okay. Prism is clearly has, it has to be the design of the Death Star. Right. Project code names. Stellar Sphere. Mark Omega. Pax Aurora. <laughs> Cluster Prism, Black Saber. And then Black Saber. And so a little bit of the history on these. Some of these were mentioned in the novelizations. A little bit more context was provided that they were all part of uh, Imperial power strategies. So they were all like Galen thought he was developing universal power. Okay. And so like the ability to power all of the planets in the galaxy using Kyber. Right. Obviously, that's not what he was working on, but they all had different code names, and so they all thought they were working on different things. So there's not actually a clear definition as to what all of them are. However, prior to mentioning um, what... Uh, okay, yeah, let me ask you what my other master question is so I don't mess it up right here. Okay, sure. Because you already, Do you know what it is? No. Okay, what are the two uh, hard drives Jin lists to K2 as she's searching for the structural engineering drive? Uh, and the structural engineering drive is Stardust. That's what no. you mean. So okay. that's the that's the drive or the file folder, including okay. the structural engineering projects. All right, then I have no idea what you're going to uh, say. Hyperspace tracking and navigational systems. Okay. So you can easily, from these two, um, know what they're referring to. So hyperspace tracking is directly what they develop. The First Order finishes developing for The Last Jedi. Right. And navigational systems, very likely the work the Emperor did for the outer regions uh, and the beyond of the universe. And so outside the galaxy. Cool. Likely the information that the Knights of Ren are bringing back 
in the rise of skywalker oh man that's amazing so really great in that regard yeah um but within that the structural engineering and so you have stellar sphere mm -hmm. which by the name very well could either be the death star 2 uh or yeah. it could be star killer base yes it could i think war mantle is star killer base though okay because mantle of the earth they drill down it's where they build that giant giant cannon it just makes sense. Do you think they thought of this? Because that's an amazing guess. If you're right, well, that makes sense. Because it sure, sure it does. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm like as amazed as I am by your knowing it. I'd be amazed of just them considering that at well, all. Well, they intentionally put in the other ones. Yep, the navigational systems and especially the hard drive. Because Pablo Hidalgo confirmed that that was, uh, like, he, someone tweeted it after seeing the last chat. I remember he, that. He was like, "Good job, you got it." Yeah. Um, but. Specifically, I'm sure some of them have like some context. Uh, Mark Omega, uh, it could be Starkiller Base, but I think there's a chance that Death Star Two is probably Stellar Sphere or Mark Omega. Mark Omega is just means the the bigger Mark, yeah, <laughs> which would mean the bigger Death Star, I would think. Right. Um, Pax Aurora, I could not find anything that. Uh, could that even related to the de definition available online i mean an aurora is what some kind of celestial explosion peaceful right? dawn was the best okay translation i could find for it so that could kind of sound like an annihilating weapon similar to the way that cassian and Jin go out sure in a peaceful dawn sort of with that giant horizon right something along those lines um yeah, I think War Mantle is probably Starkiller Base. Cluster Prism, I think, is probably the dish itself because it's mentioned in the novelization that some of the projects are sub-projects of Stardust. Okay. Uh, Black Saber, there's the interesting one. So some people online think it's related to the Dark Saber. However, did a little bit more digging, and actually it's more likely in reference to the Legends story that includes Black... Uh, it's, I think it's called uh, yeah, Black Wing or Black Saber or something. But anyway, so it was to take the Death Star laser paring it down to a smaller extent for installation on dreadnoughts so you could have dreadnoughts going around and blowing up planets so little galaxy. little drones little ships that are mini death stars yeah i mean dreadnoughts are like a couple star destroyers of in course size. Yeah. they're massive but yeah. by comparison have sig have significant advantages over what a death star would have right in terms of maneuvering yeah and so lots of terrifying projects on the go uh, which is really cool. And Thrawn Treason's coming out, which we're, we get to hear a lot more about kind of Thrawn's understanding of these projects. So it would not surprise me if some of these were revealed to be things that he's working on or things that he's trying to push over the Death Star because he's very against the Death Star project right. and a, a bunch of things like that. So I would be eager to hear if some of these are revealed soon because I think they're just a potential littered ground for really cool... Uh, Easter eggs moving forward. That was some of the best research you've ever done for this podcast. That was an amazing little tidbit. That was <laughs> fascinating. No one is, knows that. That's amazing. Well, there's not that much on it really out there. So it's one that's kind of ripe for exploration with people who are taking on new Star Wars stories. So and it contributes to your what you previously, previously said about how everything has a meaning in Star Wars. Yeah. Don't ever assume that something is just some random throwaway line. Yeah, exactly. And I think Solo doing like too many nods to they that is a lot problem. of it they made up a lot of stuff because i think in part when you look at how it's subtle yep. you're not supposed to realize how filled in everything is in the galaxy all the, everything's filled in dig 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 deeper over here and you'll find it a little bit more that's right but solo it's just in your face yeah you're right and that's why it's a little bit uh 
Look at all the Star Wars words I know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay, let me give you my master question. And I'll give you my knight after that. Uh, how many men does Darth Vader kill in this movie? Oh, wow, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine? It's ten. Oh, that was a good guess, though. It's ten. Uh, I kind of thought he killed everybody in the main room and got through to the next room and killed some more people. But no, he only kills the people in the main room. Mm. The door opens, and some of those first guys are almost going to get away, yeah. and they don't. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them, the saber goes right through the door, and that one's great. Oh, and when they, he blasts the guy up to the ceiling and then cuts him on the oh ceiling. Oh my god, that's the best part. Is so insane. So this this whole sequence is kind of, and we will get to your night question. No, but I was gonna this add whole, on to it. This whole sequence is so important, not just because it's great, uh, it's great to watch, not just because it's gory and insane and awesome, but because it it rewrites the original Star Wars movie in first of all successfully normally mm -hmm. you, how could you get away with doing that i know in a way that somehow improves and enriches the original star wars movie which by the way is what rogue does in its very nature which is why it's crazy yeah because how in the world are you making one of the most masterful movies of all time yep. better yep and you're not even touching it your whole your whole, the whole movie is just to make the original star wars movie better and they made a good movie to prove that it's good yeah and and so it just adds this other layer to Vader's measure and temperament in the original Star Wars to imagine what he is like physically capable of mm -hmm. and was two days ago. Yeah. And that's so cool. I wanted to make a note here because I also know that you, uh, you give me shit for this sometimes and it's fair because I say I hyperbolize a lot and uh, I wanted to say specifically and I did my... Like, I, I really thought about this here. You ranked something. I ranked something, okay. absolutely. I believe, without a doubt, this is a, one of my top five favorite Star Wars moments. Okay, I, I, potentially, I, I don't find that crazy. Potentially, number two. I want to hear him. Okay, so in my opinion, the top five Star Wars moments are my favorite one is, it is just number one is, you are my brother, Anakin, I loved you. Oh, that's such a good That one. is my favorite part of all of Star Wars, everything, that final scene the the flip to the cuts i just got the, chills you just said it it's just it's one of what it's one of those heartbreaking lines i've ever seen in any movie it really is yeah everything about it yeah um then probably this but then there's the two amazing empire strikes back moments of luke using the force for the first time to pull the lightsaber towards him breaking yeah. free against the wampa pretty cool that's incredible uh obviously the i am your father moment with uh vader throwing all of the um like all of those giant objects at him and just yep. beating the shit out of him it's like almost like a horror movie in that kind of way uh and luke's walking down the hallway and he doesn't know where vader is and that's just the whole sequence is incredible right um and then jabba's sail barge oh really yeah i but, wish you i wish you had mentioned this to me because i could have prepared a top five and i will for next week yeah it'll be different i i won't include that i won't include uh i'm your father no I know it. I know it's I think obviously. I, I think that's probably number five in my list. Yeah. Um, but that sequence, that sequence is pretty amazing. And I think of all the times that when we were a kid, when I thought about like the the fall Luke did, mm -hmm. I just, that was the coolest thing. First time seeing that. Yeah. I just remember that fascinating me as a kid. Right. And as I grew older, not as much. Uh, whereas the Wampa scene still is one of my favorite ever. Um, but yeah, it is great. The Empire Strikes Back one is one that. Uh, 
the I am your father, it's hard to it's hard to look at with a beginner's mindset because yeah. we've we've known it our entire lives. But I just think that under the circumstances, it'd be hard to not put it there. I don't know what I could put ahead of it. Well, maybe I mean, the throne room scene. It's objectively one of the greatest movie twists of all time. Yeah. Um, in in terms of storytelling, it's just very hard to to recognize that objectively now that yeah. you're so far removed from it. But I'm gonna give this some thought because it's a really good question. Now, I do want to stick to something you just said about the cinematic visualization of Vader's menace and what mm. he does in Empire Strikes Back. Because I made the note myself, uh, the Vader sequence is almost styled like a horror cinema, yeah. especially with them pounding on this stuck door that yeah. they can't get through and the red glow behind him. I love it. It is truly horrifying like they are experiencing real fear by the monster that encroaches and what's great about that is it, it adds extra validation to the way vader's been depicted in all other mediums of canon yeah he is depicted the same way the jedi are depicted he is mythical okay to some people he is the emperor's bodyguard the emperor's number two who didn't who somehow has his job but is just kind of like his his tyrannical number two right some people have like legends about his monstrous ways and the powers that he has, and it really builds up lore in the galaxy. And they have, I think it's called Vader Dark Visions at the moment, but uh, there was previously going to be a, a kind of a similar comic version that was about the legends of Vader throughout the galaxy. It was going to be told from other people's perspectives about horror stories of the the mysterious lord vader right he's kaiser soze exactly and so it would have included some really crazy things but it's interesting to hear characters talking about vader before they meet him in a book for example yeah. and the fear that they have and like vader for example in one book uh and i won't it's, i won't really spoil anything because it's one of the best books but he specifically he's in a, his tie fighter and someone else is in their like small single person fighter jet mm -hmm. and they're facing each other and he chokes them. Ugh. Like, Vader is, a, like, terrifying. Yeah. Like, not even, like, every single, like, he just makes for the most menacing moments. And the fact that they're able to bring that to visualization of Rogue One so well, I mean, it's just so important, in my opinion, that... Yeah. Because it just validates further how we all love Vader. <laughs> remarkable remarkably done i don't i don't yeah. have anything else to say about that sequence no neither do i just because it's so it's perfect it's and, and just in general this movie is a love letter to star wars yeah and i was just quite elated i was cramming to prepare for this podcast because a little crunch for time today and i wish i had time to to watch it a couple of times yeah just to get more observations but it was so well done you have one more trivia question yeah my night one who preceded luke as red five? Oh, i don't know the person's name his name was Pedrin Gall. Okay. It does this guy have a background? Of course he does. I'm sure he does, but that's uh, really all I know other than the fact that uh, in a couple of days, someone far more important will be taking Red 5 over. Yeah, that's true. You had, to you, had to, you had to make your cavity there, my friend. Yeah, I thought it was nice. That, I thought it was cool that there was a Red 5, though, specifically. Yeah, for sure. And after that, Lo uh, Luke becomes a rogue leader. So. Any more quotes that stood out to you? Uh, do you think anyone's listening? I do. Someone's out there. Exchange between Cassian and Jin as they've escaped from the big tower. I think that's kind of nice. A little poetic sounding. I have very few. Um, Tarkin says you may fire when ready. He just says it with his amazing Tarkin menace. He says it coldly, quietly. Mm -hmm. Like it's just like pushing paper. It's, yeah, it's disturbing. And his other one is Lord Vader will handle the fleet, target the base at Scarif, single reactor ignition. Basically like, I don't. we're going to blow up all of this. Uh, also, however, in the novelization... He mentions 
such a shame to lose all that progress on Stellar Sphere and War Mantle. Oh, interesting. So, who knows what that, but just specifically, um, all part of the Tarkin doctrine. Yeah. His, his methods of ruling by fear. Right. They were apparently scary ones that he was a fan of. Okay, well, he would be a fan of Starkiller Base. Of course. <laughs> uh, prepare a boarding party. Is that Vader who says that? If Yes, it I might be, it, which I, is menacing as I, fuck I like from Vader. Pre- prepare a boarding party. I yeah. think that's really good. And uh, Rogue One, may the force be with you. It's kind of from one, Radis, yeah. kind of one of those corny Rogue One lines, but I like it. No, I think it's really good. Rogue One, may the force be with you. All ships prepare to jump to hyperspace. Uh, Captain Antilles, uh, his one is make sure you secure the airlock and prepare the escape pods. Yeah. The escape pods that 3PO and R2 take. Important. I love that. Now, uh, here's my uh, suggestion for, unless you want to call the episode of this podcast Hope. Hope is what I have is this. And honestly, it's the 50th episode of our podcast. It should be called it. So that's not a bad suggestion. I, I, I was going to say maybe Admiral, we have the plans, which is, no, it should be Hope, but Admiral, we have the plans. Is, is also good. Very important line for this 20. Indeed. And then the Turrets is also, I'm one with the Force and the Force is with me is a nice line. It's well. nice when he says it that. It is nice. They have a, I have a good death. I don't have anything else from from this movie. Spectacular. Um, a couple winners and losers from the twenty. I will say, that obviously, really hard to get losers, uh, other than the fact that just Bodhi. Um, yeah. Because he walks through a sea of blaster fire, doesn't get hit, and then just does his stupid little like, "This is for you, Galen." Blows, dies in the dumbest way. It's yeah. just bad, bad character. The master switch being way out in the open, being so easy yeah, to reset for the comms. Yeah. Um, obviously, Jin and Cassian having the ability to probably escape uh and k2 has pupils yeah this that's that's bothersome to you i never realized how bothersome it is before but it makes no sense there is no reason for a droid to have pupils i guess i mean unless his eyes are essentially cameras right cameras have pupils yeah but they would be behind the lens right because that would mean that they wouldn't really have great uh like uh what's the word i guess and visual angles viewing angles right periphery yeah periphery because it would be recessed in the heads that doesn't make a whole lot of sense is this might seem like a stupid question is k2 the first droid to die like obviously we see like robots get blown up in star wars but like is this the first time we've like had a character droid die in star wars probably i don't think there's that many significant droids there's not that's why I ask. Yeah, I think it has to be. It was it was the it first It was sad. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's he goes out in a blaze of glory, he goes out heroically, mm-hmm. and you've really quickly grown to love this guy's sense yes, of humor. Absolutely. Um and also this is the we this is before we quite know that everyone's going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh and so after that, after him the deaths kind of hurt a little bit less. Yeah. Frankly. Um but yeah, it's interesting that we made it so far into Star Wars without them ever trying to break our heart by killing a machine. Yeah. That's a really good point. I'm surprised. But at the same time, you can't kill 3PO or R2. No. And they better fucking not in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I hope not. Um, I really don't think they will. Um, but who knows with R2. Right. Uh, I have a, and uh, no, no other take backs, but a couple other winners I wanted to mention. I want to bring up the U-Wing again, just because it's awesome. Yeah. Really love the U-Wing. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I, you know what? I have a winning moment when those two starfighters collide. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That is awesome. The entire plan I have that, that down here by Radis, just the fact that he was able to come up with that, calling in the Corvette, it was just cool as hell. Yeah. The Death Troopers. They're very cool. The, but specifically, yeah, they're cool. A lot of people love them, but I love the sound of their blasters. Oh, I didn't notice that. It had a very cool sound. And they're supposed to be like a special ops, but they're like, sound slightly like silenced. 
and all of the people who are in the costumes are like six five as opposed to your standard stormtrooper. Yeah. So yeah, so there's definitely some cool extra menacing things there. Uh, the swarm of TIE fighters mm. that look like bugs as mm. they're going out to attack the rebels. That is a cool shot. I never thought about it, but TIE fighters, um, they almost are like houseflies, aren't mm-hmm. they? They're, like, they're just like this little round Disposable thing. too. Disposable. They're, they're, yeah, they're like little pockets and there's millions of them. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit of overall canon kind of information. The TIE defenders, that was the project Thrawn supported. Oh. And that was, that was... Uh, TIE fighters with shields and uh, hyperdrives. Oh, okay. So essentially, TIEs that actually aren't a total fucking waste. Right, yeah. <laughs> and as opposed to building giant war machines that can be blown up by a single shot. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, the X-Wing maneuvering just in space mm-hmm. was just so classic Star Wars. Nice to see the X-Wings come back for the first time in so, so, so long. I mean, we'd seen them in The Force Awakens, but... The original style X-Wing. Yeah. It just looked pretty cool. Great aerial shots. The cinematography is great. I have really, really no huge complaints about this 20. L- no. l- little things we've discussed, but it's it's great. Control panel and the corridor that K2 is around is so Death Star looking. Yep. I love it. Yep. It is just pulled right from 1977. Like, yeah, I can just see Han leaning over and like, oh, we're, we're fine here. Uh, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, uh, that's pretty much all I have for the 20. It was uh, really just a great 20. Absolutely. And obviously, everybody knows that because it's such a iconic final third act of this movie. Totally. Well done, everyone involved. Truly, yes. really, really great. And and a, a great way to, to wrap up the recapping yeah. uh, of everything that isn't including the, the sequel trilogy, which we're going to get into next week. Next week, the week after, probably. Yeah, probably the week after, maybe. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah it's exciting because... Yeah, just go uh, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and we'll be pretty close to Rise of Skywalker. Maybe some Mandalorian in between. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, there's no shortage of stuff. We're no, oh, there we're, won't be. We're not near the end yet. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the news. Anything? Uh, not tons, but there's some stuff. Uh, there was Comic-Con. Oh, yeah, of course. Which really didn't have a whole lot. Didn't which, bring it. They really focused all their energy on Marvel. Yeah, which means that uh, Disney Plus, sorry, um, D23 will likely it's already said that they're gonna have a focus on disney plus but we'll likely have a bit stronger of a focus on the mandalorian and more likely to reveal actually some star wars things when is this d23 i think it's august okay i think it's the mid end of august i don't remember really all right uh, but specifically the couple things that they did reveal uh some books uh so the force collector uh is a book that's been hinted at for a little while and so it's going to be kind of exploring the uh, Jedi and Sith almost as if they're legends, very similar to the way we were talking about it. And so it's about a kid who's, I think, Force-sensitive and he's collecting relics and such. Um, and it takes place um, some point in the sequel era. Uh, and essentially just viewing the Jedis as as legends as opposed to reality. Right. Which is kind of cool. Okay. Um, then there's also A Crash of Fate, uh, Resistance Reborn, and Black Spire. These are three books that all take place between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. So providing a little bit of context how the galaxy is shaping up maybe a little bit. Black Spire also is related to uh, Galaxy's Edge, which further indicates to me that we're going to be going to Batu in some capacity okay. in The Rise of Skywalker. Just makes sense. It makes no sense for them not to. And my guess is the character of Claude 
that giant blob who is probably going to be a resource information for them. Wouldn't be surprised if he was on Batu or something like that. Okay, sure. So that's just a little bit of piecing some things together and based on the one or two, the one behind the scene shot of Claude and uh, looking like an area that probably could pass for Batu. So. Who plays Claude? I don't know if we know. Okay. Um, he may not even have a vo- uh, an English voice. Right, true. To be honest, I kind of hope he doesn't. Probably not, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, so not a whole lot there, but a little bit in terms of uh, some books. Uh, with regards to a little bit more on books, they do also have the visual dictionaries. Uh, and so the visual dictionary release was released for uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And it's the, early, it seems. Eh, the cover was released. The visual dictionary itself isn't released. Oh, okay. I was going to say, uh, you could probably get some stuff out of this book. Yeah, no, sorry. I, I meant announced is not what I meant released. Okay. Uh, so it's probably going to be released like right after it comes out. Probably, yeah. it, I think it is released the day it comes out usually. Sure. Uh, and so on front and center is the Knight of Ren, who I have been toting as Matt Smith for the last several months, very, although no one has any context or logic behind that, including me. Right. Very curiously, they've made him the front and center of the episode nine visual dictionary. But they also seem to be consistent with that just a little bit in yep. terms of this Knight of Ren getting more attention than other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there is precedent for the visual dictionary highlighting a character that does not matter. Right. The Praetorian Guard is on the cover of The Last Jedi. That's true. Kylo Ren is on the cover of The Force Awakens, though. Right. So there's always different ways. The interesting thing that nobody is talking about, and one person sarcastically mentioned on Reddit uh, as like, oh, really great information, multi-system connection wires from 3PO. Now, why are they showing 3PO on the cover of The Rise of Skywalker identifying his multi-system connection wires? Well, we've discussed before how he might be yeah. carrying some information. Yes. this All this tells me is that's true. Yeah. And more so, I really, really, really think it's going to be his memory wiped once again. Yeah, maybe you're right. That makes too much sense. And if we're going to get that blockade runner again, which there was rumors that, that, that there's been sightings of that. Right. Potentially, they're going to find... Like, that could be the start of the movie. That'd be really cool if they were out to find that and we see them go through a clearing and they see a crashed blockade runner and then they have to explain 3PO telling him, like, you know, hook yourself up and realizes all this information yeah. that he didn't realize he had been, had been taken away from him. Honestly, the storyteller in me just really loves the full circle. Of, I, yeah. I, it starts with R2 being the imperative droid with the information in him all along mm-hmm. and then we resolve it with 3PO and these two have... Like we've said, they're our Greek chorus, they're us. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I love it. I think, I think it's perfect. Yeah. And I, I absolutely want it to be the way it is. Uh, 3PO has a larger role in this movie. We're pretty much convinced of that. Uh, that old poster that was, that came out, was leaked a while ago. It was probably like a poster for like a Walmart or something. Yeah. Uh, that had 3PO just loaded in weapons. Oh, yeah. So there's also potential that maybe he gets like, I hope he's he not all murked up. I hope he's not like reprogrammed like the way he is a battle droid in Attack of the yeah. Clones. Oh he's yeah, die Jedi. But, right. Um, I don't know. It could, it could be interesting, uh, but he's going to have the bowcaster, so that'll be curious. Oh yeah. Now with that bowcaster, this is a rumor, and one that better not come true. Okay. And the rumor is, it it, it hasn't any. It has nothing to do with the bowcaster. However, it aligns with the bowcaster. Is that Chewie dies? Oh, and so hopefully that rumor isn't true, but it would also align with why three PO has the bowcaster. I don't know why. Why are you so dead set on Chewie not dying? That's a really great way to evoke an uh, an emotional response from the audience. 
I mean, I, I get that we can keep Chewie around for, for movies to come, but we're wrapping up the Skywalker saga. He's connected to that story. We're not doing any more solo movies. Why? We might as well milk the emotion of Star Wars and kill off a guy who's always been around. Why? Because it's going to be sad. This movie's going to be sad. Yeah, but I don't think Chewie's the character you do it to. Oh, I don't think he's the only one. No, I don't think so either, but... Like what? What kind of death could Chewie have that would be right? Because I don't know. Like, are you gonna have Kylo Ren kill him? No. Are you gonna have him sacrificing himself for Ben Solo, the way Han would have wanted him to? Because that could be cool. Maybe that, or he he, aside his hatred he for him. might sacrifice himself for Rey. Well, that would be the most. Who is the pilot of the Falcon? That is the most logical one, of course. Yeah. And Han even says that Chewie likes her. Right. In, uh, and he doesn't like many people. He says that in The Force Awakens. Right. And so he's clearly bonded. Uh, and there is some uh, context. Chewie's gone back home to Kashyyyk uh, in between these two movies. Right, because uh, he has like kids in high school and stuff. <laughs> well, he's to also protect against the First Order and fight them off a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but then he obviously reconnects with the crew. It's but funny yeah, to me that Chewie's a deadbeat dad. He is. I know. It's really quite funny. <laughs> but <laughs> it, so, so Han is kind of one too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Except, you know, Chewie's kids are probably okay. Han's kid, yeah, you know. know. I don't. I don't agree with this. Bit of a this, murderer. This claim that he doesn't like many people. There are very few people we have seen Chewie dislike. Usually, he takes to people. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Like, remember in, in like a New Hope, he does not take to Luke at all. Um, he doesn't take that well to Obi Wan, although he knows him. I don't remember it that way. Well, when he tries to put the handcuffs on him, that's Chewie true. almost kills him. That's true. Yep. That was a good point. But, I mean, he comes around pretty quick. Yeah, he does. It's yeah. true. He's lovable. Right. That's also to the degree of, like, really? You're going to kill Chewbacca? He, yeah, I'm he's, not. He's at midlife. I know. I'm not going to I'm not gonna be, I'm not going to decide whether or not I think that's a good idea. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be terrified. I'm not going to be really, really pissed. Inconsolable, yeah. No, but it's just, I don't think they need to do that. I think they can kill different people. Okay. Personally. All right. Um, but the tie dagger is also shown on the cover, which is kind of cool. Right. It looks like just an, another cool version of our tie fighters. Uh, but also specifically this Knight of Ren, uh, has a vibro scythe. It's kind of like a grim reapers stick. Yeah. With a blade sword on it. with a blade yeah. on it. Uh, and so it has the ability to deflect lightsabers and parry with a lightsaber. Oh, cool. Uh, and there's also three red dots that look like they energize the vibroblade. So mm -hmm. who knows? Maybe it's kyber-powered even. Okay. So maybe this is their way of not showing him with a lightsaber because you don't want to show him with the lightsaber before you realize that he's more than meets the eye, potentially. Right. Right, okay. If, if that's the case. Just throwing that out there. Um, Kevin Smith. So All right. He, he's friends with JJ. Sure. And when he had his heart attack... JJ uh, texted him and was like, dude, you got to get better so that you can come visit the set. Okay. Just a little. And so Kevin said, like, and like a dick, I held him to it. And I sent him a message. It was like, hey, remember that time you said I'd come to the set? Can I come? I'm better. Yeah. <laughs> and so JJ said, yeah, sure. But when he arrived, uh, this is kind of what happened. So he said, so I asked JJ, they keep telling me I should see the set. And he goes, don't. I say, why? He goes, it's the last shot of the movie. Oh, yeah. So I was like, now I really got to see it. And oh, he goes, why? you no. don't want to be spoiled. You want to be in the theater when this happens. Trust me. And the other people in the crew were like, bro, I wish I hadn't seen it. I'm glad I did, but it will melt your mind. 
And for that reason alone, no matter how curious I am, I desperately wanted to go back. But the magician's the magician. Trust me on this one. Oh, you made the right call. Kevin Smith is everything a fan should be. He is. He, completely agree. He's a wonderful fan of things. He's not a very good filmmaker, but he is a wonderful fan and a wonderful talker. Yeah. And and that he had that experience. I'm glad he made that choice to not go. Mm. Uh, but boy, am I curious now. Oh, that is an intriguing yeah. description. <laughs> because it will melt your mind. Yeah, oh my God. Well, what makes me think is, okay, what are the last shots of the first couple ones? Looking out at space. Well, the first one is uh, the end, sorry, of each of the trilogies. So okay. you have the end of the prequels is uh, Binary Sunset with Owen, Baru, and Luke. Yep. Baby Luke. Uh, and the end of Return of the Jedi is Luke. The Force Ghosts and then Luke with them on Endor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And going back to his party. So the the Force Ghosts thing right. really, like, if you're going to end on a, sh- a final shot, are they going to do a Force Ghost Luke, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Anakin, Anakin, Qui-Gon, Kylo. Yeah. Like all of the force ghosts. What about? That'd be cool. There's no, there's no reason not to. Is there any forceological precedent for like a force Padme? Who I realize is not a force sensitive person, but like, is there any way we could bring Padme back? Yes. Disney just wrote her a big fat check, by the way. For Lady Thor yeah. or Mighty Thor, yeah, not Lady Thor. <laughs> well, let's face it; that's it was going around the internet because right. Taika, I think he forgot to mention the name. Yeah, and so they just kept calling it Lady Thor. Right, on the internet. she's, she's still Jane Foster. She's going to be Thor, and it, the movie's called uh, Love and Thunder, which is an awesome title. It is an awesome title, but uh, apparently Mighty Thor. He corrected one of the people on Twitter finally and was like, "That's the title of, okay. of Jane Foster's one." But okay. I don't think, I definitely do not think uh, Padme will be in this. However, precedent is there because I will finish what you started. Okay. And there's so many things you could say what that is. But there is, without a doubt, the thing Vader started and cared about more than anything was bringing Padme back to life. Oh, that's so true. Oh my God, that's true. And because of... Darth Plagueis' ability to stop people from dying, cheat death, whatever that might mean. Holy fuck. But Vader Immortal is all about this. So it is. It's a VR game. Yeah. Uh, And so this is just digs deeper into Vader's pursuits on that. So there's been tons of canon lore about Vader's attempts to uh, cheat death and his pursuits in discovering that Sith ability. Right. And so specifically, though, in Vader Immortal, he's discovering potential secrets underneath his castle and in the catacombs and these locked temples. Okay. And so specifically, um, we're learning more about it through there. And there's another episode coming in. There's a character of the Black Bishop is what it's called. And so he's kind of like a consultant for Vader. Mm -hmm. Some people believed he was Snoke because the voice sounds identical. And logically, it fits perfectly. However, they did do a sh- they did show a shot at Comic Con, just a screenshot from v- the second part of Vader Immortal, and it looks like he's the same height as Vader. Okay, and I think Snoke's supposed to be bigger than Vader would have been. Oh, really? Okay. So I don't know if that works out anymore because that was a really cool theory that could have aligned well in that Snoke was 
the being under Vader's castle, the garter, the guardian of like the secrets of immortality. It would right. work really well. Right, right. Um, but yeah, that's something Vader has been working on for decades, and so it very well could be what Kyle is working on. Now the odds are, if that is what Kyle is working on, and I think there's a great chance of it, it's not for the Padme reason. No, it's not no. to bring Padme back to life. It is either to bring the Emperor back to life, to bring Vader back to life, or something else. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of different ways. And then there's also the theory that we had chatted about a long time back, but it circled down in a, a little bit recently. And that is that the double agent theory, and that I will finish what you started, is killing the Emperor. And that the, he knows the only way that he can do it, the only way that he can do it, is to get strong enough in the dark side. He knows, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Kill his dad. Right. Uh, strike down his true enemy. Kill Snoke. Building up power in the dark side. And if he has the ability to defeat Palpatine this way, potentially that's what Luke saw in his mind. Ben Solo going on this like rampant rage of becoming more powerful. Maybe. I definitely... I would, I definitely would have entertained that theory after having just seen The Force Awakens and even some yep. of The Last Jedi because he does work in a way, as an ally to mm-hmm. Ray through that movie. But he ends that movie so angry yep. and so evil yep. that I don't know if I believe the double agent thing. It would be hard to walk that back. It is going to be hard to walk that back. However, there is never, like, it doesn't necessarily disalign with Luke. No. Luke has, there's a great way for Luke to not know any of this shit. And so it makes sense for him to still hate Luke. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's it, That's true. It's a separate thing. And really... Luke's all he hates. Yeah. He Luke is the past and his dad is the past. Yep. And like Luke is the one his master's obsessed with killing and so that's their main goal together but like he's got to kill his father to kind of prove some things but like it, it definitely can still work and I'd be game for it. It would have to it would be really have to be done well uh to show that like it was in a way planned and that the the writing was on the wall and that he knew what he was doing to get the strength to go up against Palpatine. But I'm very curious to know who's the one who's bringing Palpatine back. It's interesting that Kylo doesn't seem to have any kind of uh, disdain for his mother. I know that he tries to kill her and that's when Mary Poppins happens. He doesn't Leia try Poppins. to kill her. Well, doesn't he say, okay, do it, and then they cut through the ship and then she... No. What am I saying? I'm conflating two things. So he's specifically, he's right about to shoot and he has, he realizes, oh shit, my mom's right there. I'm going to shoot my mom. So he takes his hands off the guns and then the guys behind him blow Leia up. Okay. All right. Okay. There you go. So it is really interesting. We, there is something about the relationship of that three-way family that is, that really distinguishes Han and Leia's parental approaches. And yeah. it probably has to do with why they were estranged too. But he doesn't seem to have any... They were any... estranged because of him. Yeah, well, for sure. But he doesn't have any hatred for his mom, who is a huge figure in the body that opposes him. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to figure out why that is. And of course, our, now... our, our Leia in episode nine is limited. She'll be there in some way. I don't know if we'll get the full it's... scope. It's really weird because the first, or like you just said, the first order is the antithesis of everything Leia is doing. Yes. Leia should be public enemy number one. Right. But. It's personal for him. It's not about the politics for him. It's not at all. But he's completely aligned with her other side. Yes. Which would be the kind of thing that only a hating son would do. Yes. And so it's a little bit weird in that regard that he seems to have all this anger towards Han Solo instead. Whereas, although neither of them were really present parents... Leia was not present because of 
politics and Han for being Han. Right. But Han didn't really understand Ben. No. And that's, I think, part of the reason why Ben, like, he saw it as, like, Han didn't understand me, so he shipped me off to Luke. Right. Whereas it was seen a little bit more as Leia was entrusting her brother because of this special gift. So I think it's a little bit seen that way. Like, Han, it was almost like he got an escape because mm-hmm. he didn't understand this kid. And then Leia, I think we were going to get a lot more context in this in episode nine regarding her training, her understanding of the Force, and also her relationship with Kylo. Yeah. So I think they're going to need to do some exposition with Luke and Kylo. And I think they're insane if they don't have a lot of dialogue between Luke and Kylo. Have him haunt the shit out of Kylo. Uh, but I, I think there was going to be enough to, to kind of break down their relationship in a way that made a little bit more sense, I think. And right. I think they're just going to have to get creative now um, because there's just going to have fewer Leia scenes. And fans are going to have to have some patience with that because it's a gift she's in this movie at all. Yeah. And this is something some people have been mentioning recently, and it makes a ton of sense. Uh, and I don't I don't know if I've mentioned it before or if I've even thought of it before, and it's, it is good, is that there's been so much shakiness around the time frame of this movie. But in the end, everybody's always settled back on it's a year after. Right. But it's been a little bit shaky. So there's a chance that it's a year after and uh, Leia dies in the movie. Yeah. You could have a you could have a jump forward. Sure. You could have the first like half an hour, first two hours take place a year after and then have the last half hour or the last two hours or whatever you want to do it uh, take place three years later. You present an interesting query though and one I hadn't thought of. Think of Harry Potter. Does the nine-piece Skywalker saga have an epilogue? I think so. Yeah? I think so. I think it's one of the only ways in which you can make sure that it is. That's true. Yeah. The finale. And they're saying it is. And so I think you kind of need to. Because it's the only way that you can really show the end of Rey and Kylo's story. Like, they're not both going to end in this movie. Probably not. Their story... Maybe. Their story, their story will end. Yeah. But... We need to make sure that their story is over. Yes. Because we've already found out that the story never ends. Yeah, it's but, never ended so far. Exactly. And then again, there's also the side of things where, to a degree, it never should be. Yeah. And the people who say, oh, well, look at all the work that the rebels did and it just got reversed and like the First Order took over again. Well, do you not understand how global politics works? Yeah. It's cyclical. Yeah. And it's this is just the galaxy falling on hard times again and so no matter what even if like ray and kylo even if they bring balance to the force in what way or not we'd all like to see that the galaxy's kind of done hasn't totally gone to shit again right, right after right they learned a lesson yeah because we are going to see the finale they have said they have said this this is going to be the end of the millennia war between the jedi and the sith oh that's so exciting so that means palpatine's gonna be terminated forever and there'll be no more sith right yeah yeah you can't they can't coexist no and that and that's exactly and that's where it's a good thing in the sense of that cements a very clean end to your nine movies as well right do you have any more news two things so just two things i wanted to mention here uh one has to do with uh vader immortal and so the first part of vader immortal really focused on lightsaber combat and it got great reviews apparently chapter two focuses more on using the force okay so vr using the force oh boy that sounds super cool yeah you could choke somebody out yeah well vader's the one teaching you of course you're choking people out for better be his signature move yeah yeah uh and one other kind of thing which is one other thing that's kind of cool is 
a lot of do you know what the world between worlds is no and so people are throwing out the ideas of how time travel and different timelines can be leveraged for the rise of skywalker yeah any ways in which that can, and there's only one reference of time travel or one instance of time travel in the star wars universe that's already been set and that would be the world between worlds and that's the end of rebels and it was essentially uh, almost like a, a a portal into like mirrors of time okay to a degree and like where you could look in and see uh into different moments throughout the history of the force basically and i wanted to just mention that specifically it does articulate uh, a clear method for how time travel is used in star wars okay in the sense of there are different principles and how you can use star like there's the prisoner of azkaban and then there's back to the future mm-hmm. kind of those two main ones and specifically it is prisoner of azkaban style okay and so that's one that a lot one, of people... One, one history that can't be changed. Yes. Yeah. However, it's one that things have happened. Like, for example, Ahsoka. Ahsoka somehow survives her fight with her duel with Vader. Okay. There's no reason for it. Right. But we find out two seasons later, Ezra saves her. Mm-hmm. And so she just disappears in the middle of her fight with Vader. Oh, okay. And she's stuck in the world between worlds for an extended period of time. Okay, cool. And so that's why... So that, it, tells us a lot about that character it's a very cool side to star wars but it does set a precedent for time travel in ways in which you can use it Mm -hmm. but it also sets precedent that it can't change past events it can add different context to past events that they were caused by something that you has been realized in the future but not necessarily can't go back and change the events okay so some people are throwing theories around like that, and uh, it's just an interesting way because some of them can be immediately debunked by thinking of it that way, and some of them can really get kind of fun and creative if you think about different past events that could have additional time travel meaning. Two schools of thought. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All righty. That's, that's it. That's everything. All right. We have no birthdays to, to announce this week. Really? Yeah. Kind of a weird time where it's a bit of a Star Wars birthday hiatus, but uh, we do have our new segment, which brings me a lot of joy. Now, a little bit earlier... Oh, yeah. Uh, this, the segment's called Gotta Cast One. I give Ross two sight unseen, very famous people. He has to decide which of the two of them belongs in Star Wars, which one of them doesn't. He has to defend both decisions. So I gotta cast one. You gotta cast you one. You always say, gotta cast one, but I always go for, and you always give me two. Yeah. So it's the rule of one. Well, why? Because you're only making me pick one. Yes, the, you I'm going got, with the Star Wars title for this year. Oh, I understand. Yes, you got to cast one. You can, if you want, tell me why the other person. Oh, I would, will. I, I would always work, do. But you have to choose one over the other. I always do. Now, a few minutes ago, uh, a while back, you referenced some kind of Star Wars lore creature that is humanoid and feline-like. Mm. Important to point out that the Cats trailer was released last week. To oh, it looked creepy the, as hell. To the internet's revile, and so. Uh, when considering one particular star of that movie, who apparently is starring as a cat, and another star of another movie who is starring as a cat that's in theaters now, you got to cast one in Star Wars. Is it going to be Taylor Swift or Beyonce? Why are you giving me these ones? Why not real actors or people who could ever be in Star Wars? Seth Rogen, Billy Eichner, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, Beyonce, Taylor Swift. None of these people will ever be in Star Wars. That's why we're doing it. I know, but it's more fun to have it as real people. I get to choose. I know. Beyonce, because she has significantly more acting experience. I don't know if you can say significantly more. They've each done like a little bit and they're both bad. Yeah, but Beyonce has been in better movies. 
in uh, Dream Girls is the extent of it. Yeah, I guess and she's worked with better actors and better directors. I don't think and she's. I don't think she's worked with any actors other than like Jennifer Hudson in Dream Girls. Well, that's fair because like Lion King, for example, you're doing it all by yourself. She worked with nobody. Yeah. in that she famously was never around. She was photoshopped into the cast photo. Oh, really? Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, but I specifically, I don't want anyone, either of them near it anywhere. So make one of them, like make Beyonce uh, a singer at a cantina, uh, an, <laughs> no. alien, an alien of no, sorts. No, this is, you yes. can't, we can't write it off. You got to put them in the Star Wars universe. You got to make them count. Make them count? Yep. I don't know about that. Making them a cantina singer. I mean, what else are they good for? You can't come to this segment with a bunch of uh, resentment every week, Ross. We're not gonna we're not gonna play if you can't have fun. I'm not. I'm trying, Colin. However, neither <laughs> of these people are actors or have any anything I can draw upon here to have any reasonable decision to cast them as anything. I know, but that's the beauty of it. You got to cast one. There's only two people in the world, and you need you need to fill a role. Who's it going to be? I'm going to fill that role as the singer in the cantina with Beyonce. All right, all right. She can have that little, like, uh, fish mouth thing that they had in Solo. Like, were they... Remember the guy who was in the fishbowl singing? No. There was a fishbowl that was singing, and then there was a, a woman who had, like, this thing over her mouth that was, like, an electronic box. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe... Yeah, she's doing the cover of the song they sing in Jabba's Palace, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's much better. Right. Okay. The remixed version. The remixed version. The Old Town Road version. Jay-Z's also going to be in it too. So he's going to, he's going to play a hut. uh, All right. And he'll just, you know, mumble. There'll be lots more weeks of this podcast for me to propose more interesting thespians. Don't worry about it. All right. That's 50 episodes of Recorder 66. We have uh, only two existing Star Wars movies left to recap. But by the time we get to the end of those, there'll be more to discuss we got lots more in us. Uh, we could, and we're not going to do it prior to any of the other ones, but after eventually, and I would like you to, we could do the Clone Wars movie. Oh, we should. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not in as many parts because it sucks. Yeah. Maybe in three or four parts. Yeah. Yeah. It's also short enough that it would probably, even if we did them by 20s, it would still only be probably five. But if we did them by 30s, we could get it done in like three. I've never seen it. So it's I'm kind of, I'm sure it's bad, but. I'm sure it's bad in a way that it wouldn't offend me. It won't threaten me. Yeah, I would I would worry because I wouldn't want it to eliminate your instances of ever watching anything Clone Wars ever again. Though. No, I, I, I don't think I would. I've seen enough of the Clone Wars that's good that I understand. Okay, that's good. Yeah. No, we can do that someday. If we if we need some weeks yeah. to fill, we can do that down the road. There's also the Star Wars Christmas special. I mean, oh, like, so many we might as well do that next Christmas if we have a week, although there's a lot of Star Wars going on at Christmas time. This yeah, year. and who knows what it's going to be like <laughs> next year. I mean... Benioff and Weiss, uh, they skipped San Diego Comic-Con because of scheduling conflicts, which could mean they were afraid of the fans from could Game be. of Thrones. They could honestly be that. Or it could mean that they're deeper into Star Wars than we thought, which would be really great. I hope it's something like that. Oh, of course I hope it's that. Hey, send along your thoughts on Rogue One. This is a bit of a Rogue One love fest, this episode of the it podcast. It was, but it deserved to be. I absolutely think so. Uh, you can tweet us at Recorder66 or email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. And uh, until we're together again, may the force be with you.